This is the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio on the AHP Digital Radio Network. Visit us at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Here's the host of the show, Jason Selms. You're listening to the Australian Hunting Podcast. Welcome back uh, to AHP Radio. It's a pleasure. Episode 50, the big five zero, And what better way uh, to start this big 50 is uh, Shooters and Fishers Party's Rick Mazza uh, out there in WA, doing it tough out there for Shooters uh, and Fishers in WA. Great podcast. Uh, before I get onto that, I wanted to thank everyone that's been part of this show. The big episode 50, three years we started in February 2011, 50 episodes, guests, Political podcasts, aunties on my show, you name it, it's been on the show. I've had two people, unfortunately, that have passed away that I've interviewed, one being Tom Varney, uh, which I think was episode three or four, I think. Tom Varney, uh, the Fox shooter, Fox DVD shooter. Uh, the passing of also the passing of uh, legendary uh, or Benelli now CZ USA uh, exhibition shooter Tom Knapp. Tom Knapp also passed away, and uh, I'm glad I was able to interview those two guys. A wealth of knowledge, especially Tom Knapp. Uh, out of the USA, an exhibition shooter. If you go on YouTube, you'll know exactly who Tom Knapp is. Uh, I've interviewed people like uh, Laurie Levy from the Coalition Against Duck Shooting, uh, Robert Borzak, Shooters and Fishers Party, Russell Mark, the Olympic shooter, Oh, man, I've interviewed an array of people on an array of different topics, subjects, and, you know, three years on, we're still going strong. A lot of people know when I stop enjoying something, I'll eventually stop doing it. Uh, I hope this is not the case with this, and while I've got something to offer and while I've got guests to bring you or information to bring you, we will continue uh, to do that. I'm really excited. We have over 20,000 downloads every month of this podcast, depending on the month. I mean, this started from originally a couple of uh, 20 or 30 listeners back in 2011 every week uh, to a couple of hundred, uh, then to a couple of thousand uh, per week. And then, you know, basically at the end of the month, I look at the downloads for all the 50 or how many episodes we've released and just just admire the hard work not only myself have done, but you, you guys supporting the show and listening to the show because I can do this show, but if no one's listening to it, it's really not worth it. And it shows over 20,000 downloads a month that people are enjoying it. Uh, they like the content that we're offering. And three years later, three whole years uh, running podcasts, sometimes monthly, sometimes every two weeks. And uh, hopefully again with the Straight Shooting Podcast, the Media and Pollux Podcast that we've been putting out. Uh, we just recorded our second episode last night, so that'll be episode 51. Uh, more media, more politics, uh, fighting for your rights of freedom and liberty to own firearms in Australia. So thanks everyone that's been part of the show for the last just over three years uh, and 50 episodes. Fantastic. So thanks everyone for uh, the support. Uh, if you want to go to the website, australianhuntingpodcast.com.au, that's where we upload all the show to. Uh, that's where you can listen, read the blog post, then at the bottom of the blog post, listen to the podcast. Or you can go on iTunes, of course, download us on iTunes. A lot of people listen to us, uh, automatic downloads to their iPhone, listen to us at work. I mean, I got people re- emailing me saying they just listen to me at work. One fellow uh, even uh, works on a construction site and puts the phone inside his hard hat so he can listen to the podcast. Like, what a legend. Absolute legend. Thank you very much. Uh, so, yeah, download us on iTunes. If you're on there now, rate us five stars and leave a comment. I'd thoroughly, thoroughly appreciate that. Facebook, almost 3,500 likes on Facebook now. Australian Hunting Podcast. Just type that in. It'll come up. 
uh, my love affair or and hate affair with Twitter, AH Podcast. Sometimes I'm on there, sometimes I'm not. Depends on how I'm feeling. If you want to email me, go to australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. AU, click on the contact icon if you'd like to join us and send us some correspondence or email me at australianhuntingpodcast at gmail.com. We're also available on Stitcher, which is another podcast directory. So if you've got a Wi-Fi connection, you're overseas, you can't get access to iTunes, certainly jump on Stitcher. Share the Australian Hunting Podcast with your friends and family. Tell them about it. Uh, Mario, my co-host of Straight Shooting, we're going to get about 100 posters done very soon. And we're going to be talking to gun shops. We're going to be talking to organizations to put up uh, those banners in the shops and try and get the word out about uh, this awesome podcast that over 20,000 people per month uh, listen to. Also, too, you can go to the website, australianhuntingpodcast.com.au and donate through PayPal. That's really important. I love all my listeners, but I especially love my donating listeners it's always appreciated when people love what i do and uh send through uh you know money even people that don't earn a lot of money sending through even five or ten dollars thank you guys i mean it doesn't matter how much you give uh, it's always appreciated and anything certainly counts so you can donate through the website on the right hand side widget bar just click on the donations button there we've also got stickers as well australian hunting podcast stickers if you've been on the facebook page you've seen them you can go on the website and click on the store button at the top and it'll say vinyl decal stickers. Uh, click through to PayPal, that'll come through to me and I'll get them out in the post within three to four days after getting your order. So allow, you know, five to ten days for delivery on those stickers. They're 20 centimetres by 18, they're die cut, so they go absolutely awesome on your car because if you've got a dark window, you just they look awesome. Go on the Facebook page, you'll see them. Even on the website, you'll see a photo of what they look like. They're totally, totally awesome and uh, about $10 including shipping. So certainly jump on there and grab one of those. I appreciate all the listeners. Three years on, 50 episodes. I appreciate you all. Uh, and what, what an awesome way to get started on episode 50 to finish it off with uh, Shooters and Fishers Party's Rick Mazza. So as always, let's sign off. Without further ado, let's get into my interview. Shooters and Fishers Party's WA's Rick Mazza. Hi, this is Rick Mazza from the Shooters and Fishers Party, Western Australia, and you're listening to the Australian Hunting Podcast. Rick Mazza, welcome to the Australian Hunting Podcast. It is a pleasure to be able to interview. Thanks very much for giving your time today to come and speak to me. Appreciate it. Uh, thank you for having me on your show there, Jason. No worries. Absolutely. I guess, mate, tell us a bit about yourself, I guess, both uh, personally and professionally for people that don't know who you are. Oh, Jason, look, I, uh, I come from a small business background and uh, in 2006 I sold all my business interests and was lucky enough to enjoy a bit of time uh, in semi-retirement. Uh, it was then that I started to get interested again in, in uh, what I used to do in my late teens and 20s and that was to get out into the bush and do a bit of hunting and, uh, and out fishing again. Um, but after about six or seven years, I, I started to realise that we had a lot of uh, issues that were arising and that the uh, outdoors lifestyle that we all enjoy was under some threat. So yep. I, uh, I got involved with the Shooters and Fishers Party and, and uh, was fortunate enough to get elected last year. Yeah, how did you, I mean, did you start, did your parents hunt? Was it a family tradition? How did you sort of uh, get into it? How old were you when you sort of started the hunt or it wasn't till you, till you were older or? Well, no, look, I, uh, I was always pretty keen from a very young age to be out shooting and, uh, and fishing. And my, my dad was a keen duck shooter when that was, um, when we had the seasons in Western Australia. And so as, as a young boy of about six or seven years uh, of age, I used to go out and accompany him on, on duck shooting 
uh, trips or we go out and shoot some rabbits, whatever the case may be. Yep. And spend a fair bit of time in a in a dinghy catching skippy and all other sorts of um, species of fish. <laughs> yeah, good stuff. So I guess are you a shooter, hunter, fisherman, all of the above? And uh, um, pretty much all of the above, Jason. Like a lot of people, uh, I do like to um, do all of the above and, and four wheel driving uh, thrown in as part of all of that. So it is an outdoors lifestyle thing. And I think part of it too is just being able to provide for yourself with you know some wild caught fish or um, some you know game meat that you've taken yourself. Yeah, exactly. So I guess you said you're a shooter. Are you do you are you varied? Do you like pistol shooting? Do you like clay target shooting? Do you like um, you know rifle shooting? What's what's Rick Mazza like to do? Look, I've never actually been a competitive shooter. Uh, I've gone along to ranges and enjoyed myself. Uh, on an invitation to do a bit of pistol shooting. Um, not so long ago, I was out at the goldfield, sitting at the Shooters and Fishers WA Goldfields branch, and uh, was fortunate enough to to have a bit of fun with some clay target shooting. And of course, I've done some rifle range shooting uh, as part of being in, in hunting clubs. So predominantly, I've been a recreational um, shooter, mainly for game meat, more so than competition. So what is what about what does Rick Mazza? What does he enjoy? What sort of feral species or game species? What do, what do you like to hunt? What, what's your favourite? Well, look, I was brought up like uh, most West Australians on rabbits and foxes uh, and the odd kangaroo. But um, these days we do have emerging um, herds of deer in Western Australia. There's actually three species here now. The uh, no, sorry, not sandbar deer, which there was. No, it was rooster deer, uh, and we've yep. also got fallow and red deer. So probably the last six or seven years, that's where my main interest has been. Um, followed very closely, of course, by by feral pigs. There's plenty of those around in Western Australia these days. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Nah, good stuff, good stuff. Uh, I mean, before we get into like how you got involved, I guess, with the Shooters and Fishers Party, tell us about the climate, especially in WA, surrounding, uh, you know, firearms ownership. Just can you give the listeners, I guess the people that aren't in WA that don't know sort of about the laws that are quite, I'd say, draconian, probably you would too, can you just, just tell us about the, the landscape of firearms in WA at the moment? Well, look, I, I um, have lived in Western Australia all my life, so the firearms uh, laws and I suppose the culture within uh, WA police towards firearms is something that's always been here. It's nothing new. Um, how that ar- arose in Western Australia, I'm not sure. There's a few theories on it. Yep. Um, but when the National Firearms Agreement uh, came into being, it actually improved the laws in Western Australia more than the other way around. Um, we had very, very strict rules here uh, in the 70s and 80s surrounding high-powered rifles in particular. Uh, and most of us had low-powered um, calibers like 44 Magnum uh, or maybe a 30-30, but uh, there wasn't many high-powered rifles around. But since the National Firearms Agreement, the, you know, obviously there is now quite a lot of um, high-powered firearms. But still, we're way behind other states in, in having a sensible system. Mm-hmm. Interesting stuff. I know, obviously, you're with SFP and you got involved. How, I guess, how did you get involved in uh, with the Shooters and Fishers Party? Well, as I mentioned earlier, Jason, since um, becoming sort of more interested in hunting and fishing, I, I had joined uh, a couple of hunting clubs. In fact, um, I was the founding president of the Australian Deer Association here in Western Australia. And there was no doubt that things were getting um, uh, harder here. And the acceptance of hunting and game meat uh, is very, 
narrow. There's only a few people that are really involved in it. So we, we really wanted to get more people uh, aware of what hunting is about uh, and the fact that it is a, um, a pastime that is rewarding and, and does provide uh, good valuable game meat for families and also the pest control angle of it. Uh, we tried through clubs to influence um, government, uh, but it's not always an easy thing. Yeah. Uh, play, clubs play a very important role, of course, but we... Uh, look, I decided personally that if we really wanted to make some changes in Western Australia, it had to be at the point again, and that is in Parliament. Yeah. Did you... When you were thinking about that, though, did you sort of... You know, were you thinking yourself you were going to get into it, or you just... How did it sort of... How did that particularly come up, and you thought, you know what, I'm going to sort of... I'm going to do this. How did that come about? Well, look, even in my business days, I had a, a very mild interest in politics and thought it might be something I might look at one day, but was never really serious about it. Um, I obviously came to understand what the Shooters and Fishers Party was about through internet forums and, uh, and more social media contact. So uh, I decided to contact um, the Shooters and Fishers in New South Wales. Yep. And uh, myself and my wife went over in February of 2012 and met with Robert Borzak and Robert Brown uh, and also David Cook. And uh, I felt there's some very common ground there and and I thought it was the sort of thing that Western Australia could probably benefit from as far as the hunting community and the fishing communities were concerned. The idea was then to sort of set the party up in Western Australia and I got the green light from the guys in New South Wales to set up the Shooters and Fishers in WA. We had a foundation meeting in June of 2012, uh, which Robert Borzak came over and attended. And we had about 80 people attend that, so it was a fair bit of interest, really. Because um, it wasn't advertised widely, it was just through a few clubs and things. And uh, we put together a steering committee and recruited very hard. We needed a minimum of 500 um, members who were registered on the electoral roll yep. um, to be able to register the party. And we managed to get uh, enough members by late August, mid to late August. And, uh, yeah, and, and we managed to get the party registered by September, I think, remember? Yeah, I know. Amazing. Did you think, I mean, as far as I'm aware, correct me if I'm wrong, but obviously this was the if the first run-up to, obviously, going for the election, and we actually got you up into Parliament. So was that something... You, like, you, did you think it was going to happen? Not in your wildest dreams. Obviously, you, yeah, we want to hope it's going to happen. But what were your sort of thoughts running into the election? Well, look, we were we were quietly um, hopeful. And look, I, I just have to amend that yep. we actually had the association formed in September. It was uh, the party itself wasn't registered until November. By the time everything went through, because it's about a six weeks uh, program to get it registered. And look, we thought, you know, the election's only a few months away. Um, we, we thought we had a reasonable groundswell of support. Um, we were hopeful that we might have a chance, but we knew it was a very much a long shot. Um, certainly the, the guys from New South Wales uh, helped us extensively in, in putting a strategy together uh, and with some dedicated members of the party, um, we managed to get it over the line. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, that's an excellent result, I think, for the, obviously the first, the first outing, you might say, and I guess we couldn't have asked for a better uh, situation to happen, could we? No, we couldn't, Jason, and look, uh, at, at, when all the wash-up uh, came through, I'd actually got um, my seat by 8,000 votes, so it was a pretty sound uh, win at the stage, that was with preferences, of course, Yep. 
But what was interesting is the mining pastoral uh, region, because WA is broken up into six different regions for its upper house, uh, we only missed out on a seat in the mining pastoral region by under 100 primary votes. So wow. it was very close out there. And I think if we had had a few more months um, available to us to promote the party, we could have even done better. Exactly. That would have been amazing if we got two up. I mean, that would have been two up in New South Wales, two up in uh, WA. I mean, that would have been a fantastic result. Look, well, we're very happy with the result as it is, but certainly it would have been a bonus for the second person in. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Look, there's a lot of people that said after the election that we didn't realise that you guys were around, otherwise we would have given you our vote. So the next election in three and a half years' time, uh, we're hopeful that we will get a much higher primary vote, and we just might get to it. Yeah, and for people, I guess, that are listening to the show that... You might be listening the first time. They could be new shooters. They could be people that are currently in WA for the people that will listen to this. I guess why should they vote for the Shooters and Fishers Party WA? And I guess more importantly, as you sort of been their representative, why should they vote for you in the SFP? Look, at the end of the day, what it's all about, Jason, is yep. to protect um, the rights of, of people to be able to enjoy the outdoors uh, and, uh, and stop the erosion of of uh, people who enjoy the outdoor lifestyle um, from being held back from it. Um, look, I, I truly believe that the environment is there for everybody to enjoy uh, as long as it's utilised sustainably and, and responsibly. And what I was very fearful of is that ideology uh, was creeping in to a lot of political decisions um, rather than good solid research and science. So that's what we're about. We're, we're basically a libertarian party and we don't believe that there should be too much intrusion from government in our daily lives. Yep. And that as long as we're responsible, that we should be able to, um, um, you know, have activities which um, we're entitled to. Exactly. Yeah, I've been saying that for a while to a lot of people. Freedom, the government, less intrusion. I've got sort of probably similar to yourself, libertarian-style views. You know, people should be able to, you know, enjoy the outdoors, enjoy, you know, fishing, hunting, shooting with minimal intrusion from the government. I mean, law-abiding citizens, by definition, aren't the ones that are committing the crime, so I don't know why, you know, these draconian laws in a lot of the, a lot of the states of New South... Sorry, a lot of the states of uh, around Australia having these issues. But tell us about... I've got a good one here for you. Tell us about, I mean, serving... I mean, obviously, you've been in your first year of Parliament, uh, roughly. So, I mean, how, tell us about your first year. How's it been? Has it been a bit of a learning curve? Because my, my friend did talk, and I've got an interesting one here, and this is not... Uh, uh, anything bad against the party. I don't think it's quite positive. I said, my friend said to me, how do you think Rick went? And I said, well, if you remember, I've downloaded uh, Daniel, one of the guys that I've dealt with uh, that's been talking to you for a fair while, uh, to get the videos on YouTube. And I'm the guy that's been putting all the videos on YouTube and your speeches and everything. And he said, and we're having a chat, and he said, how do you think Rick went? I said, oh, you know what? I would have liked to have seen him go just a little bit harder, but let me sort of explain that. And he goes, well, hang on. How would you feel if it was you, like me being in Parliament? How would you feel being the only guy there in your first year of Parliament, you know, trying to, you know, be you know, the first person in the party? And I thought, yes, you know what? That's actually a really valid point. Like, I'd probably be scared, nervous. I would, probably would have been pooing my pants, so to speak. So, you know, I guess the, the, the positive to come out of that would have been that you know, I think you've done a fantastic job. And I think, you know, in the first year, can you sort of explain to the people, I guess, around Australia, what, you know, how you found your first year of parliament? Well, look, Jason, I, I was sworn in May uh, last year. And look, it is quite daunting. I mean, I'll be honest with you, it's not for the faint-hearted and it's a completely different lifestyle. Yeah. But my objective was to, first and foremost, establish credibility with my fellow uh, members of parliament. Yeah. 
Um, I think, speaking to some of them, that they thought that I was going to be a gun-toting redneck that come in there, throw them away around, and I didn't want True. that image for shooters and uh, and fishers within Western Australia. So it was a softly, softly approach to just uh, let other members of Parliament know that we are reasonable people, uh, we are responsible, and we're there to support sporting shooters and fishermen and outdoor users, um, and that we have some very genuine concerns with the way that um, we've been restricted from, from um, going about our daily lives with that. So that was the first thing. Uh, the other issue too is I think it's important that as part of building that credibility we don't go too hard and put people off. An increase that they, they gave us on firearm additions and, and uh, licences, which was a very large increase, yep. that was really a platform to highlight to members of Parliament the issues that we have within our firearms processing. And there was a lot of debate and a lot of discussion within both Houses of Parliament from that. It also triggered a uh, parla parliamentary inquiry, a public inquiry, uh, into the firearms branch and its processing, and some very interesting things came out of that. Yeah. Uh, some of the anomalies we had, and I'll give you one example, is that in Western Australia, you go onto the police website, you fill out the application form, you download it, and you take it to the Australia Post, to an Australia Post office, and they process it. Um, we found out in that hearing that when the police firearms branch receives that application, they then manually load it onto their system. So there's a $50 charge through Australia Post, and the police um, have to then manually load it on their system. So part of our argument is, why can't we put a 60-cent stamp on an envelope and send it direct to them? <laughs> Good point. So there's quite a few anomalies. So now we're in the process of having a Firearms Act review uh, and I've been in uh, conversation with the Minister and we're looking at mainly ironing out a lot of these inconsistencies and inefficiencies within the firearms system. Yeah, absolutely. I remember watching uh, when I was uploading a lot of those videos of you doing the speeches and some of the debates. Oh, I mean, there's some quite interesting stuff coming out of uh, WA, I can tell you, but this might go into the next question a little bit. Um, I guess, what have, what have you think over the last 12 months, what have been some of the positives since you've been in Parliament? Well, look, there's no doubt that the Firearms um, Act is under scrutiny, and that's what we wanted it to do. We wanted to make sure that we had uh, the government's attention on this issue because it's always been sort of brushed aside as being unimportant in the community, but now it is an important issue, and we do have government working on that. But look, the second thing which has been a major achievement, I think, for the Shooters and Fishers Party in six months of Parliament is that we do now have um, a parliamentary committee to investigate hunting on public land in Western Australia to do an inquiry. Now, it's early days and we've got a long way to go, but at least it's on the agenda. Uh, and again, uh, that uh, parliamentary inquiry will look at other states like Victoria, New South Wales, um, possibly Tasmania and New Zealand and other countries to see how a, um, a system of hunting on public land in Western Australia under a licence system um, could be implemented here. Now, that's something that's never been discussed in Parliament before, so I think it's a great achievement. Mm, nah, excellent. Love it, love it. On the flip side, Rick, give us what have been some of the net negatives you've say either noticed you know, in, the, in the last, you know, since you've been in Parliament? Well, touch wood, Jase, at this stage, <laughs> I actually haven't come across any negatives. <laughs> the media has been uh, very balanced um, uh, with issues that I've brought up. I've raised issues 
regarding hunting on public land. I've even raised issues regarding the RSPCA and some of my concerns there, and uh, and there's been quite fair and balanced in their reporting. So, look, I'm sure it'll come, and I'll I'll have some rough times, but at the moment, um, Touchwood things have been relatively smooth. Exactly. I think the only one negative was uh, what's it, uh, Senator Ludlam still kept his seat in WA. I think so. That well, might be maybe of... not. <laughs> we'll see. There's still been no announcement yet, but we'll see uh, what the outcome of the um, of the the uh, Supreme Court findings will be. Absolutely. For the High Court. Mm. Yeah, good stuff. Um, tell us, mate. Obviously, you're there in WA. What are the three? I won't say top policies, but what are the three main uh, things you'll be targeting, say, in your tenure in the upper house over there? What are the three main uh, policies, or what you're going to be pushing for in WA over the next couple of years? Well, look, as we've discussed, obviously the Firearms Act is is one of the major ones that we want to try and uh, iron out here in Western Australia. Uh, public land hunting, uh, and again, that will be a fairly long process once the um, inquiry has been completed and, and that report tabled to Parliament. There'll obviously be a lot of debate uh, and a lot of public comment on that. So that might be a, a fairly long road, but that's that's something that I would dearly love to uh, to achieve within this term. There are a number of issues in fishing. Um, some of the fishing rules we have here uh, need amending. Um, the fisheries department here is, is quite reasonable, but just there's a few areas... Uh, and I won't go into those now because um, you know it, it's probably something that's a bit long-winded. But there are some fishing rules here that I think could be amended to make life a little easier and a little fairer for fishermen. Can you give us say one or two, or what you think be the top priority? Well, probably one of the top priority ones is we have um, a high-quality table fish here called a West Australian Jewfish. Yep. Uh, and they grow a pretty good size. You know, usually around. A good fish will be around 15 kilograms, so it's a pretty, pretty decent sort of fish. Yep. And they have been under pressure over uh, a number of years. So uh, there is now a closed season in West Australia for those, for those jewfish. But one of the things that they did bring in was there's one jewfish per fisher, but a, a limit of two jewfish per boat. So if you've got four friends go out in a boat, they can only catch two, two jewfish um, now, I experienced that on the weekend where I went out with a friend of mine, there was four of us. We caught two jewfish fairly early on, um, and then we changed rigs to fish for other species because you'll let it have a mixed bag of, of two, say some pink snapper. Yep. But we caught another two jewfish. Now, the problem with them is, is after you've brought them out of a fairly, uh, from, you know, say 40 or 50 metres from fairly deep down, uh, you obviously have pressure problems. So the technique is to put a weighted barbless hook into the fish and send it back down to the bottom and release it. But the survival rate of doing that, uh, I believe, would be very low. So when we did that with those jewfish, even though we were legally required to do that, um, you don't feel good about it because you feel like the, the fish is being wasted. Yeah, exactly. That's a good point. Let's talk so, about... Um, yeah, sorry, hmm. go on. So look, you know, look, I know a lot of fishermen, usually uh, this guy that I went with will cease fishing after the two jewfish, um, but we're out for a day's fishing there, we wanted to catch some King George whining and other things, so yeah, <laughs> yeah. you don't feel good about it, no, and I just think that if you've got rules where you don't feel good about doing, you know, doing what the law requires you to do, then they should really be amended. Exactly. Good point. Let's talk about uh, state land or public land hunting in WA. I know there was a, I think it was an inquiry, and I watched a couple of videos, and anyone that wants to look at them can look on my YouTube channel as well and find the videos of Rick there in Parliament. But 
Uh, I mean, is it a real reality? Where are we at? And just for the WA residents, uh, let them know where it's at at the moment. Look, I, I'd like to be very positive on that, Jason. I think it is a reality. As I say, it's something that's never been presented to Parliament before. Um, the committee that has been formed, and I've been seconded to that um, committee, uh, will investigate it thoroughly. And I think there's every chance that we might get it up and running. The main thing is that people do put in uh, good, responsible and balanced submissions to the committee uh, about why they believe that state hunting, uh, sorry, state public land hunting could be established in Western Australia and could be very um, beneficial to the community and the environment here. Um, and then obviously we will go and, and check out other systems in other states. But uh, I, look, I'd like to think that we've got a very good chance of getting that through. Yeah, I think that's good too. I mean, it's happening in quite a lot of states at the moment, so I don't see why you know, it can't happen in WA. I mean, the earth's not going not to explode just because we're allowed to hunt on public land, is it? Well, look, it's not. And there's no doubt that the commercial removal of, um, of pest animals is very high. Uh, and look, I, I, I understand there's a lot of professionals out there who earn a living from um, removing feral animals, and I'm sure there's, there's plenty of them out there for recreational hunters and professionals as well. There's obviously some areas that recreational hunters couldn't go to. Um, we are uh, looking at state forest and unoccupied um, crown land. We're not looking at, at national parks in this state. So the uh, professional operators would still have all national parks and other areas. But certainly the, the commercial uh, removal is expensive and we could actually turn that around into a positive and have recreational hunters uh, play their part, their part in uh, getting rid of foxes and cats and pigs and everything out of our environment. Yeah, exactly. And you do have quite a lot of land over there, so I don't know why it would be, you know, like we're doing in New South Wales now, I mean, Victoria, other states, so I don't know why it wouldn't, you know, there's a lot of land there, why it couldn't be positive and couldn't be, it couldn't help. Well, look, we've only got a, just over two and a half million people in Western Australia and a land mass four times the size of Texas. Uh, and look, we've got all <laughs> sorts of feral animals here. We've, you know, there's obviously the, the, the usual suspects like uh, rabbits, foxes and, and cats. Uh, we've got plenty of pigs in the southwest. There's camels, there's donkeys, there's wild dogs, which are a very, very big threat to um, our agricultural region now. So there's certainly plenty of feral animals out there. And um, Look, it's one of those things, if we're ever going to get on top of them, we, we've got to use every resource we can. Exactly. I know you were saying at the start there was reasons why possibly WA may have, you know, it's got some sort of the draconian gun laws. I guess people with WA that live there probably don't know any different. But what's some ideas behind that? You said you had some ideas behind that. Any, anything in particular that you'd like to share? Why, why sort of around that NFA, 96, 97, why there was such extra restrictions put on people in WA? Look, I, I'm not certain of the history behind it. it it's obviously just evolved that way um, since white settlement, Jason. I, yeah. I, I can't really answer why uh, the culture within Western Australia was so restrictive. Um, but what we're trying to achieve now is, like other states, that the the shooter is licensed uh, and then additions are noted on the uh, licensed shooter's um, firearms license. Currently in Western Australia, every time you get an addition, you've got to go through basically an entire licensing process again uh, with permission letters from private property owners and, and the whole thing. So it is a very, very uh, long-winded, tedious uh, way of, of getting an addition. And there's a lot of problems associated with that. So we're looking at actually licensing the shooter and then noting additions uh, on a much simpler system. We've also got a situation in West Australia where every component of ammunition is classified as ammunition. So even a spent case 
um, is classified as ammunition. And there has been wow. situations where um, you know someone's been out spotlighting on a Saturday night. There might be an empty case rolling around in the ute, and uh, they've been pulled over and then uh, prosecuted for failing to secure ammunition. So you know they're sort those they're the sorts of things that we're trying to um, make more sensible. That's amazing, isn't it? Like completely, completely ridiculous. I mean, it's the same here. I guess in New South Wales, when you, know, you come for an inspection, everyone's sort of you know you, all it takes, and people get a bit frantic, don't they? When people want, you know, when the police want to come for inspections, obviously you know everyone's fine. But you know I always think when they come too, like oh, did, just check everywhere. Just you know, just think you never know. You could have come home for a hunt. One's fallen on the ground, rolled underneath the box in the garage, so to speak. Yep. I mean, it just seems a bit over the top that, you know, a spent case, a spent case can be a considered spent case. Well, that's right, mate. Look, you can understand wow. a live round. You know, if there's a live round that's been left somewhere, well, that's probably a bit irresponsible. But, you know, a spent case, or for that matter, a projectile, could be classified as ammunition. So, you know, we, we're trying to get away from that. Another example, too, is that you can't store your firearm in someone else's safe. So if I was to travel to a mate's place, say 200 kilometres away, to do some hunting and stay there overnight. Uh, I can't legally actually put my firearm in his safe, which would be the safest place for it to be. So if we wanted to go out for dinner or do something else, I'd have to take that firearm with me, basically, which makes it um, pretty ridiculous. Yeah, that just seems absurd, doesn't it? I mean, It, it is absurd. So they're, they're the sorts of things you're trying to get around. So it's a more sensibility. When does, honestly, common sense prevail? I mean, surely they would prefer it in a safe than... You know, say in your car, I just can't understand that and I uh, can't understand. I know there's a lot of issues and red tape surrounding getting licences. What's the average time roughly that you've been experiencing with you know, new WA shooters or people get re-getting their licence? What's the average uh, time frame waiting period for someone to be issued a licence in WA? When I put the argument forward on, on the disallowance motion for the increase in firearms fees, yeah. And it would seem that it's about 40 to 70 days. But I have heard a longer, Jason. Yeah, I, I was got contacted by a fellow not long ago, and he said he was been waiting nine months. And I said, hey, send me your details, and I'll forward it on to Rick and see what, you know, if, he can, if they can make light of it over there. I mean, that's just, that's absurd. But yeah. talking about the fees too, um, I did watch the videos again with the debate, and I'm not sure which guy it is. I know it might be the Attorney General, the bearded guy. I'm not sure what his name is. I know he's a Liberal, I know that much. Yeah, um, no, he's heard, the Attorney General, yeah. Yeah, what was his name? What's his name? again it's michael mission that's it mission that's it that's the guy and it, i'm not very happy with that guy after listening to his uh, speech about you know about the fee increases and you know that it's we have to foot the bill uh for these increased uh fees so uh and basically a user pay system which you know, i looked at the fees uh, a few months ago and just tell us a bit about i mean not exactly how much but basically the fees how much they differ from other states because i well from what i've read it seems it's roughly a few hundred dollars uh, for the first year of your firearms license, when we can get that over here in New South Wales for around two hundred dollars for five years, I mean Victoria, I think it's even lower, and their pe permits to acquire are only you know, eight or twelve dollars or something like that, or ten dollars. Um, tell us a bit more about the fees, and I mean I I'm talking astronomical fees for WA shooters. I mean completely off the chart in my opinion. Yes, look, we got slugged with fees, uh, you know, over one hundred and thirty percent increases. To give you an example, uh, a new licence applicant went up to uh, $259. Uh, Is that for one year? No, well, that's for, your new, that's for a new licence holder. Yep. Your, your annual fee is about $53. Okay, right. Uh, once you hold that licence, but your initial application is about $259. Wow. Additions are the one, is the one that most people are upset with. That's $169.50 now. Wow. Peculiar to Western Australia, you also need 
a serviceability certificate. Uh, and at commercial rates, that's usually around $25 to $50. Wow. So that, that's on top of your $169.50. So it is um, way out of step. How, how on earth do they just... Even in New South Wales, I think $30 for a permit to acquire is a bit... You know, personally, I don't like the per- permit to acquire system at all. I think once you've got a license, you've been vetted by the government, that's enough to go in there and purchase a firearm over the counter that day. Maybe pistols, that might be a little bit different. You know, the government's a bit finicky with that. In each state, that'd be fine, I mean, maybe. But, you know, in regards to long arms, I mean, how can they justify, like, what, what's $169.50 for and why do we need a serviceability certificate? Is that, to, is that to say the firearm's okay? Can you explain the serviceability sort of certificate? Well, it's based on what they call cost recovery. That's what they reckon is the actual cost for the firearms branch of the police department to process it. Now, that was what the public inquiry was about, was for the firearms branch to actually justify those fees. And cut a long story short, they were able to establish that it was cost recovery. But what has come out of it is it's cost recovery on a very inefficient, clunky, outdated system. So our argument is, we understand cost recovery and we accept that. However, the cost recovery should be on an efficient uh, system that serves the public without, um, you know, without extreme costs. So that's where we're at now. Yeah, I just, I mean, I feel $200 to uh, you know, acquire a new firearm, I just, you know, roughly, you know, I just can't, I can't understand how, the, how they're allowed to get away. I mean, in New South, that means they must be losing a lot of money in Victoria, New South Wales, Queensland and other yeah. states around Australia. Well, obviously, their systems, I think, are much more efficient than ours, Jason, in a nutshell. And for a lot of people, too, and I've, ha- I've had them say it to me, look, you know, I can buy a little 22 for $200, and it costs me just as much again to actually have it licensed. <laughs> Uh, I, you know, I feel terrible for the people in WA. I just, you know, I, cost recovery. And, and it's, it's a system that I, I can imagine 99% of shooters don't even want, yet they're forcing us to pay for this clunky, as you said, outdated, completely onerous uh, system they've got going in registry. I just can't understand it. Well, yeah, so the, the positive side is it, it is now under the spotlight. Uh, there are now steps in place where we're looking at reviewing the Act and making it... Um, a more streamlined system. So, you know, when we didn't have representation in Parliament, this probably would have just gone through, it would have been a bit of squealing here and there and, and it would have been just brushed under the carpet. It is now in the spotlight. Uh, it is now an issue and it's something that many members of Parliament are aware of. Yeah, good. Speaking of that, do you think, I mean, obviously since you've been in Parliament, uh, there's been a more of a spotlight, so, you know, not only on the fees, but the shooting sports and, you know, you, you, know, you being consulted on a lot of these ideas that they've got? Yes. Yeah. In short, yes. I mean, every time I speak to, to members of parliament, they do regularly bring up the issue of the Firearms Act and, and they believe also that it's a clunky system and needs amendment. And look, these are from people too who aren't shooters. Surprisingly, there's quite a lot in both houses of parliament, West Australia, uh, who are shooters, but quite a few that even aren't and aren't sort of familiar with firearms still understand that the government department that we have that administered that need, needs to be updated. Yeah, and I see no reason why a license or even permits to acquire or whatever it may be shouldn't be processed in a, in a timely fashion. We know there's like, you know, the 28-day cooling-off period. I'm not sure if they've got that in WA, but I presume they do under the National Firearms Agreement. So, yep. you know, it really can't be, you know, odd for them to process an application and do a criminal records check in, you know, within, like, what, 70 days? You said it can take up to 70 days in some cases. I'm hearing more even from my end. So... I don't know why they can't manage it in, in, in due course. I mean, as you said, there's not that many shooters in WA. There, there are a few, obviously, a lot, but, you know, just 
I can't understand. But anyway, what do you see for the future, Rick? Tell us about the future, uh, that next couple of years. What are we? What are you seeing? What are you? What are you going to push with the government? And uh, how how are you feeling? You're going to tackle that over the next say you know two or three years. Look, I think the major things on our agenda are uh, the, the firearms licensing system is obviously a main one. Yep. Hunting and state forest is obviously another uh, big one. We've also been doing some work on the um, RSPCA. Uh, I did move a non-government business motion some time ago that we need to have the RSPCA accountable. I'm not quite sure what the situation is in other states or in New South Wales, but in Western Australia, every uh, government department uh, has scrutiny under the uh, Auditor General's um, audits and we also have estimates hearings uh, and other ways of making sure that those government departments stay uh, effective uh, and within the terms of reference. The West Australian Government, through the Agricultural uh, Department, grants the RSPCA $500,000 a year Yep. and also obviously gives it some quite uh, extreme powers as far as powers of prosecution, that sort of thing, like delegated powers of prosecution, which no other organisation that I know of enjoys. So to me, it should be accountable. Uh, there should be similar levels of scrutiny to make sure that the RSPCA also stays within its terms of reference and serves the community. So that's something I'm working on at this point in time. Uh, and uh, I'm also there to make sure that what we're looking at is animal welfare. Yep. Um, which we all agree we need an animal welfare body. We, and no one, I don't think, condones any cruelty to animals. So that's something that um, the community expects. But we've got to make sure that it doesn't end up in a, an extreme situation. Yep. How, how, sorry, how long was your elected term for, Rick? Four years. Four years. Do you see yourself, um, you know, if, you, if possible, continuing on after that? I mean, give me a bit of a sort of an insight. Have you, have you, have you enjoyed yourself since you've been in Parliament? Is it what you thought it was, you know, what you thought it was going to be? Or what, what's your thoughts so far? Well, look, I'm finding my feet after six months, Jason. I am yep. uh, beginning to enjoy myself and I'm beginning to feel that, yes, you know, we, we can make a difference in Western Australia. Uh, and I'm beginning to feel a little bit of that now. So it, it is one of those things where I, I would like to continue on at the end of this term. Um, I'm quite hopeful that our primary vote will increase substantially because a lot of people do know about us now and, and we've had some quite positive feedback. Yep. Uh, there are certain elements that think I'm a horrible man, but you get that. Um, <laughs> yeah. but, but overall, yes, look, I, I'd like to see continuing representation of the Shoes and Fishers Party in our parliament. Exactly. I mean... You're in Parliament. I mean, obviously the spotlight's on it. I mean, it was. Speaking of that, when you've been in Parliament, has anyone ever sort of come up to you and said, "Listen, like, you know, I'm surprised the SFP got up, or surprised you got a seat." Has there been any sort of that sort of talk? Well, yeah, there's been a, there's been a fair bit of that talk. Um, the 7:30 report did an initial segment on us, uh, and there was a lot of people who were surprised that we got up. But anyway, we got there. Some people even said we admired how you did it. So. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things where uh, we did get up, we caught a few uh, by surprise, but we're now making a difference. The Greens had four members of Parliament here last term, and they're now down to two, yep. uh, and one shooters and fishers, so it's balanced up a fair bit for us here in WA. Absolutely. I guess we, you know, you could, we couldn't have expected a better result in the first outing at the election, really, can we? No, well, that's exactly right. You know, Some of the other things we're looking at, too, uh, this year, and that'll probably come up next on my agenda, is um, marine parks. We'd like to see a moratorium on marine parks. Yep. The state government is looking at locking up. Well, when I say locking up, they're, they're wanting to establish a great big string of marine parks along the Kimberley coast called the Great Kimberley Marine Park. Now, I have concerns with it because we can still fish in those marine parks apart from sanctuary zones. 
but it seems to be the thin edge of the wedge in a lot of ways that we start to restrict uh, things within these marine parts. I don't see that there's a lot of scientific evidence or pressure that requires them. And more than anything, it's actually the cost of managing, managing those, Jason. And yep. it's all right to say, well, let's put a marine park in. But when you start looking at the cost of managing those marine parks with um, you know, vessels and vehicles and accommodation and staff, they become very expensive. And I truly think there's better ways for the government to spend money on marine management than simply putting in marine parks. Good stuff. Love it. Oh, I've got, some, I've got to listen to a question. Uh, one of the fellows on my Facebook page, Sam, he said he wants to know, uh, will any new changes to licensing? Because apparently they still allow uh, IPSC shooters to own semi-automatics in WA, which, you know, again, it's not that draconian, I guess. <laughs> uh, will there be any proposed changes to still allow IPSC shooters to own those semi-automatics they currently do now? Well, look, I'm not aware of any pressure for them not to have them. Yep, um, and that's all I can say at this stage. I mean, obviously, if that issue arises, then that's something that we can look at and defend. But at this point, I, I haven't heard any um, any move to restrict them. Absolutely. All right, there you go, Sam. Rick's answered your question. Fantastic. All right, Rick. To finish off, um, I guess uh, tell us a bit of a story. It can be a you know a professional story, maybe you know one you got into Parliament or one of the best days hunting or a personal accomplishment. Give us a bit of a uh, rundown of one of the best days in Rick Mazza's life. Well, I've actually had a few best days, Jason. <laughs> you give me the best one. I'm sure stories. You give me the best one. Well, look, I'll give you one on fishing. I'll give you one on, on hunting. Love it. But yeah. the weekend just gone, if you have a look at the Facebook page, I caught a monster West Australian Jewfish yeah. um, at around 30-odd pounds, uh, and that was a great day out, and, uh, and I had a lot of fun getting that. But also, going back about two years ago, as I said to you earlier, Deer are starting to emerge in Western Australia, but they're still very difficult to find, and they're certainly not here in big numbers in any way. Myself and my brother Mark have found a nice little patch that we've been working on for a while. And uh, about two years ago, we'd seen plenty of hinds around the place and a, and a few calves, but never a big stag. And one morning, just after the rut, I suppose, we, we'd gone into the spot. It was one of those uh, very misty mornings with hardly any wind, and uh, we'd stalked in uh, behind this rise and there was a copse of, tre a copse of uh, trees in front of us and as we stalked our way in we, we could just make the outline of a good red stag and he was an absolute monster of a stag, big body fellow and um, a good set of antlers on it so we got very excited and planned to stalk in and we got pulled up by a couple of hinds that were watching and we got within about 70 metres I suppose and the stag continued to feed but as soon as we looked through the scope was white. There's a whiteout. There's just too much mist in the air, and uh, but to see that stag there in that mist was something like monarch of the glen. Yeah. And although we never end up pulling the trigger because we just couldn't make a safe shot uh, with the conditions on that day, it was still just a magnificent sight to see in West Australia. Absolutely. I guess that leads him to uh, run around for another day, so you can stalk in on again another day to come. We've been looking for him, but we haven't found him yet, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe this year we might have more luck. Oh, good, yeah, good luck trying to, trying to get it. They're tough, uh, the old deer, that's for sure. You know, few and, few and far between, I guess, as you said, over there. But I reckon it'd be much more rewarding to get one over there than, uh, you know, say in different states where they're a lot more abundant. But I reckon it'd be a pretty good day if you got one. Well, that, that's exactly the thing. Look, I've had a few invites to go into state, and I will take up some of those as time goes by. But it seems that every time the, uh, the deer rut season comes around, it's just the thought of actually getting a, uh, a West Australian deer, you know, um, and a trophy animal at that. So that's what I'm working on at the moment. It would be a, uh, certainly a, 
a gratifying thing to get one. I'm sure it would be. All right, Rick, to finish off, I guess if people, obviously, we need people to join the party over there in WA, I guess who can they contact? So let's talk, you know, emails, how can they find out more about you, Facebook, phone numbers, give me, let the WA, or not just WA, but even if other people from other states want to join as well, how do they join the uh, Shooters and Fishers Party WA and where can they find out more about you guys? Well, look, I, I think the best thing to do is just to send an email. There's obviously the uh, Facebook page, which is uh, SFPWA. If they send an email to um, chairman at sfpwa.org.au, yep. um, we can direct that into the right direction and get an application form to them. That's right. How important is that people join? Tell people, to sell people why is it so important to join the SFP and WA? Well, look, it's, it's one of those things, and I must say that, look, uh, in the early part, we, we campaigned hard and had a lot of people join. Now that we've got somebody uh, somebody in Parliament, a lot of these people thought, oh, well, someone's in now, we've done our part. But the problem is that we've got to maintain that minimum level at least to satisfy the West Australian Electoral Commission. Uh, and obviously, the more members we've got, the stronger that we are. So even though we're sort of hovering around good numbers, um, we'd like to see more members join. And uh, our goal is in Western Australia. We should be up around about five or 6,000 members. All right, guys, you heard it there first. Join the WA Shooters and Fishers Party. Rick Mazza, your representative in WA, trying to keep the uh, Liberals and the Pollies honest over there in regards to firearms laws and access to public land hunting. So join the party, uh, email uh, Rick or email the chairman, the email that we just spoke about, and uh, it was good getting Rick on the show. So thanks, Rick. I'm glad we were able to get some more information out there for WA Shooters and what we're going to be plans are over the next few years and the awesome, honest, and good hard work you've done over the last uh, almost, uh, what, eight, nine, ten months, coming up on 12 months very soon. So thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate your time. I know you're busy, and uh, hopefully sometime again you know, in the future we can have you on again soon. So thanks very much. Yeah, my pleasure, Jason. You've just been educated, and this is the Australian Hunting Podcast. Thanks for listening. See you next time.